Well, good evening, everyone. You can immediately tell by my accent that I'm not from these parts. I am indeed from uh, the United States, and this is my first visit to the UK. I am thrilled to be here with you guys. Uh, my last name is Putman, actually, which is a deviation on the, the good English surname Putnam. I have no idea why they rearranged those last couple letters, but they did. Uh, but nevertheless, this is kind of a homecoming for me. You know, my family is, is from uh, these parts, and my wife is essentially named for the island, uh, Brittany, and so we're thrilled uh, to be able to be here. It's been a, a great pleasure of ours to get to know John and Debbie over the last year, and uh, to be able to be here with you guys. This is a great church. Um, I, I loved doing church with you guys this weekend. I want to talk tonight a little bit and share uh, from my story with respect to publishing uh, the book, which Debbie mentioned. Uh, about, uh, I guess it's probably 16 months ago, uh, I, I published a book called Live Like Jesus. Now, I just want to kind of give a brief caveat. This is not the American guy coming here trying to sell a load of his books. Uh, I didn't even bring any. So if you want the book, I'm not going to argue with it, but you have to track it down yourself. Um, I, I don't like it when preachers market themselves. That's, that's not what's happening here. What's happening is, for me, this was a journey with God. And what I want to share with you is the journey that God took me through, because what I found is he takes a lot of us through similar journeys sometimes. You see, when God first started talking to me about writing, it wasn't a good thing for me. A little bit of my background, uh, before I was uh, called to the ministry, I was actually trained in the sciences of all things. I have an advanced degree in physics. And so, yeah, right? Whoever you are, love that. Um, and so for me, you know, math and science, or maths is what you call it here, right? Maths? Maths and science and engineering and all of this, man, it just clicked. It just like worked for me. But the one subject that was always an Achilles heel for me that I could never get the hang of was English. Year by year, I would double down. I would commit to myself, I'm going to work twice as hard this year. I'm going to read all the books two times. I'm going to rewrite my paper three times. And I couldn't do anything to make myself pass a barely passing grade. To make matters worse, my father, since before I was born, has been working as the writer and editor of a magazine. He has a master's degree in creative writing from one of the better universities in the U.S., and he was helping me with all my papers. So <clears throat> with a ninja's help, the best I can do is barely scratch by. English was, we might say, traumatizing to me. So God begins to speak to me maybe like four or five years ago. He says, hey, you know what? What about writing a book? I've been bringing your church on a journey. I'd like to share that journey with some more people. And the first time that God spoke, it was kind of one of these moments. You've probably had one of them too. Here I am, Lord, send them. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not particularly interested. Isn't there someone else you can call for this task? But nevertheless, he wasn't, he wasn't going to let me go. And what I've found, my journey, I've found is similar with many other people's journey. You see, God has promises that he hangs over each one of our lives. His promises over our families, promises over our workplaces, promises that have to do with the way that we can minister to other people, promises over all these different areas in our lives. But the process of stepping into those promises is not a simple thing. More often than not, it stretches us into places that are incredibly uncomfortable. 
And what I want to talk about tonight is the process of partnering with God to enter our own promised land. What are the things that God has put on our lives, and how do we partner with him to make sure that those come true? And so to begin, I want to read a passage that's in 1 Corinthians uh, 10. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, the letter to the Corinthians, both letters to the Corinthians, in verse 10, he begins and he's recounting some Israelite history. Specifically, he's talking about the time when the Israelites were rescued from Pharaoh, they were delivered from Egypt, brought through the wilderness, and brought into the promised land. And so he's going through and he's listing a bunch of uh, specific examples. He talks about like, you know, the water that comes out of the rock and how they, um, you know, they got caught in grumbling and other, other things like that. He lists a bunch of examples, which you could go through and read in, for example, the book of Exodus, if you want to dig into that. But after 10 verses of summarizing that, he comes to verse 11, and here's what he says. I find this fascinating. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So Paul says, you know, all of this stuff happened to the Israelites. Like, it's all true. It wasn't made up. It was factual. But it was written down, not just for them, it was written down for us, that we may be able to look at their lives and get an example of how to live the ways of faith. And so what I want to do is I want to ask this. What was the process that God used to bring the Israelites into the promised land? Because what I've found is he uses a really similar process to bring us into our own promises. And so here's kind of in broad sweeping strokes the story that we see in the first few books of the Bible, Exodus through, say, Deuteronomy. It begins in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we have Moses is called by God, and he goes down to Pharaoh, and there's this square off. Moses stands before Pharaoh, who's essentially the world's biggest despot at that time. And he says, hey, I'm going to take all your workforce, and we're going to leave the country. And Pharaoh says, I don't think so. And there's a showdown, and there's the ten plagues, and all of these crazy things happen. The, the river turns to blood, and there's frogs, and all kinds of crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, Moses, um, well, God, I should say, through Moses, delivers the Israelites. They wind up getting uh, broken out of Pharaoh's clutches. There's the whole crossing the Red Sea adventure, and all of that happens. And so they're delivered from Egypt, and they're brought out into the wilderness, God calls them to Mount Sinai, and they spend a year in front of Mount Sinai where God teaches them how to be his people. He does things like give them the Ten Commandments. He sets up, you know, here's the, the structure of the tribe, here's how you're going to build the tabernacle, and he teaches them all of the things about how to be God's people. They stay there for a year, they learn all of this, they assimilate all of this, and then what happens is God brings them to the border of the promised land. And as they come to the border of the promised land, there's an interesting episode that we're going to look at in just a little bit. But what happens is God brings them through three phases, a deliverance from Egypt, a, a, a time in the wilderness, and coming into the land of promises. And what I found is that our own lives tend to go through those three phases as well. 
See, each one of our Christian journeys begins with our own personal exodus, our own personal deliverance from Egypt. We wind up coming to a point in our life where, for some reason, the way we're doing life isn't working well anymore. We're caught in in an addiction that we can't break, in a destructive relationship. Maybe our finances are going down the tubes or our physical health is is deteriorating. Whatever the impetus in our lives, we come to a point where we begin to call out to God and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. And God, like he came marching into Egypt to deliver the Israelites, God marches into our lives and he begins to break our chains and to set us free. We come to know Jesus and he fills up these places in our lives that we didn't even realize were empty. And all of a sudden, it's like life is amazing. This is what it's like every time you talk to a, a new Christian and I love it, they're so vibrant, they're so full because they're, they're connected to God and they never have been before. You can't get enough of church. It's like every time the doors are open, you gotta be there. You're, you're at every small group. You're, it's, it's this wonderful, thrilling adventure. We're delivered from Egypt, you might say. And in time, we, we, we have this experience, but not all of our Christianity stays in that place. And that can be frustrating, because you know what? It's really fun to be delivered from Egypt. It's really fun to have God just show up and do all the heavy lifting on his own. I have a problem, God, help me, boom. I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm whatever it is. God is just like radically acting in our lives. It's really cool, it's really fun. And there's a lot of awesome vineyard stuff that happens here. The sick get healed, the demon get set free. Awesome, love it. But in time what happens is God will begin to call us to another season. A season of meeting with him in the wilderness. You can, you can usually tell when someone is beginning to cross from, from uh, season one to season two because there may be a sentiment that begins to come forward that's something like this. I just, don't, I just don't feel like I'm experiencing God like I used to. I just don't feel like I get fed at church like I used to. It used to be so fun and so vibrant, but I don't know what's happened. Something's missing now. Well, what's missing is that God, the way you relate to God, the way you relate to the world in each of these seasons is different. See, when you're, when you're in deliverance from Egypt, God's like, all you got to do is look to me. That's all. Just, just ask, and I'll do it. I'll show up. It'll be amazing. And so your relationship from God involves a lot of get, so to speak. You get, 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 get from God. And meanwhile, the world around you is kind of the enemy. It's the problem that you're being delivered from. And so you're receiving from God, and you're being delivered from the world. Well, as God brings you into the second season, it's kind of like the rules of the game change a little bit. And now God says, I want to teach you how you can be my people. I want to teach you to invest in this relationship as well. And so let's work on how you can connect with me, like personally. How about about you learn how to begin to read the scriptures? How about you learn to, to cultivate worship and prayer in your own life? Let's work on some of those character flaws that, you know, for now I haven't really been talking to you about, but let's work on some of those things now. I'd like you to look like me a little bit more. And what happens in this season is God calls us almost like away from the world. The world is somewhere out there. We don't really know where it is because he's calling us to himself in the secret place. We learn how to connect with him. We learn how to know him. Once again in time... God moves us on to another season. 
You see, because the end result is not just that we would know him personally and like enjoy our own relationship with God for ourselves. Now, there's a lot of awesome stuff there. And, and as you begin to connect with God personally, it's immensely rewarding. It's fantastic. But you see, God cares about the whole world. And so what happens is in time, he brings us through into a third season, which by the way, you'll know this is happening because you'll say something like this. I just used to have these great times with God and they just dried up. It's like, I don't know where he went anymore. It used to be this wonderful presence. It's gone. I don't understand. Well, what's happening in this place is God is bringing you to the third season. He's bringing you to the edge of your promised land. He wants to, to, to bring you into a place of your own personal destiny. And in the promised land, the Lord meets us on the battlefield. And so he's waiting for us to engage with mission. He's waiting for us to step in to a dimension of calling. He's like, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So if you want to try and find me out on the mountain, I'm not there anymore. I'm in the presence of your enemies now. How about you try and find me there? And so God calls us into the land of our own promises. Now, I'm just getting to know the church here in the UK, so I'm not going to pretend that I can... Uh, evaluate how effective the church is in any area. What I have found in the United States is this. We're pretty good at those first two seasons. We're not so great as a church in helping people navigate into that third season of personal calling and personal destiny. And what I want to talk about today is this. How do we move from season two to season three? How do we partner with God to step into the land of our promises, to meet him on the battlefield, to live out our own personal destiny. Now, to learn a little bit about that, we're going to read an episode that's in everyone's absolute favorite book of the Bible, Numbers. I know you've been reading Numbers, you know, a lot these past couple of weeks, um, and so this is probably all just refresher, you know, for morning quiet time or whatever it is. But we're going to hang out for a little bit in Numbers 13 and 14 and read a story which you may have heard before um, or, or maybe not. But we're going to pull a couple of details out that I think would be helpful. So in Numbers 13, uh, verse 1 and 2, what happens is the Israelites have come right to the edge of the promised land. They're like looking across the river. There it is. That's where God's taken us. And God does something interesting. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of your fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So they get to the edge of the promised land, and God says this, I got an idea. Pick 12 leaders, one from each tribe, and send them in to go scope it out. Now, it's important that we recognize this. This was God's plan. This was not Moses' bad idea. This was not the people's insecurity and fear saying, let's go send some spies. God knew what was going to happen when they came back. He wanted them to see the report that the spies are going to bring back. So the spies go, and they, they check the land out for 40 days, and they come back, and, and the report picks up in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us, 
It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in this land are very strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So the spies come back with a mixed report. The first thing they do is they come back and they say, wow, that land over there, it's everything we have heard of. It's amazing. Here, look at how big this fruit is. This fruit is unbelievable. In fact, the land flows with milk and honey. Now, every time I hear that, like, I don't know what you think about that, but like, I think like, I wouldn't want to live somewhere where milk is like oozing out of the ground. Like, that sounds disgusting, right? Um, but I- I'm going to assume that where they're headed with this is that, in, you know, in a world pre-refrigeration, you know, pre-convenience stores, this is probably a land that has abundance for everyone. I think that's what they're kind of trying to say. Everyone has the delicacies here. And so they say, the land is amazing. This is going to be so great. Only there's a little bit of a problem. There's no way we can do this. The cities are really big. They're super fortified. Oh, and besides, they've got these, these things called the descendants of a knock there. Now, if you root around a little bit in the Old Testament, you say, what, what is that supposed to mean? It turns out that the descendants of a knock were giants. So let's like translate that into modern terms. Not only do they have really big, like, you know, fortified places that we can't take, they have super soldiers too. Like, we can't win this fight, is what they're saying. So here's what's fascinating. Here's what I find really curious. God sent the spies over there knowing that they would come back with a mixed report. The spies come back, and this is essentially what they say. The task is beautiful and impossible. It's beautiful. The land is amazing, but it's impossible. There's no way we can do it. When we begin to come up to the edge of our own personal promised land, God's going to confront you with a beautiful impossibility. The promised land, somehow we can get this idea in the church, that the promised land is this like comfortable, peaceful, happy place where there's like no struggle, no difficulty, it's easy. And we can forget that the Israelites battled their way through the entire promised land. The promises that hang over your life are not necessarily there to guarantee you tranquility. They're more likely there to guarantee you battle. Because it's when the Lord's people take down giants that God gets glory. It's when David, the teenager, takes out Goliath that someone goes, wow, I don't know what happened there. Must have been God. When you do something that's your own size, it doesn't necessarily point to God. And so God's promises over our lives usually involve something that's bigger than us. They usually involve something that's impossible. And those battles are battles that have actual costs attached to them. You see, the reason that God sends this beautiful impossibility to the Israelites is he knows this. If they're not formed in faith and they cross that river, they're done. When you're staring down the giant that God's telling you to kill, and you're faltering in faith, you're going to die. There's a real cost to that. And so he sends them a beautiful impossibility and asks this question, which of these two do you respond to? Because if you've learned the lesson of Mount Sinai, if you've been formed in faith, then what happens is the idea that God would not be with you in the task is unthinkable. 
And all you see is the beautiful. But if you haven't been formed in faith, if if that lesson hasn't landed in your life, then all you see is the impossible. You go, well, I guess that would be great if we could do it, but there's no way we can. In fact, that's exactly what we see in the responses to the spies' report. In Numbers uh, 14, next chapter, uh, we see a couple of responses. This is what the people say. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? What's the people's response? No mention of the beautiful. All they can see is the impossible. I wish we were already dead. I mean, that's a pretty drastic response when you think about it. Like, like, really? You wish you were already dead? Wow. On the flip side, <clears throat> Joshua and Caleb have a different response. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of, we'll say, Jephunatheth or something, <clears throat> were among those who spied out the land. And they tore their clothes, and they said to all the congregation of, of the people of Israel, this land which we passed through to spy out, it's an exceedingly good land. What are they seeing? The beautiful. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. <clears throat> they respond completely differently. Why? Because they've, been, they've learned the lesson of Mount Sinai. They've been formed in faith. Joshua, remember, was the guy, when the Lord comes down on the mountain, even after Moses is done talking, where's Joshua? Hanging out in the presence of the Lord. He's been formed in something. And so his response is like, well, psh, impossible, who cares? All things are possible with God. Look at how beautiful it is. It's the natural response from his heart. It's a test that proves he's been formed in faith. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites do what a lot of us do. They realize, they, 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 they grumble, you know, the, the, the rest of the nation over, overpowers the two, and they're like, God, we don't want to do this. And God goes, okay, well, then we got to go back to the last season, back to the wilderness, guys. We got to learn that lesson. We're not going to be able to head into the promised land until we're formed in faith. So he takes them back out to the wilderness. And you know what they do? The first thing they do is they go, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh, wrong answer, wrong answer. Sorry, God, we're in faith, we're in faith now. And they try to force their way across the river. And you know what happens? They get slaughtered. They have to turn around and go back to the wilderness because you can't conjure up faith. Faith is something that gets formed in us. It's not something we make in ourselves. Who's the author and perfecter of your faith? It's not you, it's Jesus. Okay, so a couple of years ago, God starts talking to me about writing a book. And I'm confronted with my own beautiful impossibility. Well, of course it'd be cool to write a book. That'd be fun. But Jesus, you know my story here. There's no way I can do that. And so what do I do? I do the same thing that all of us do when we get started. I pretended I didn't hear him. 
You probably have tried that tactic too. I found it doesn't work terribly well. But I, I kind of pretended I didn't hear him, sort of brushed it off, ignored it a little bit. And of course, he, he kept bringing it up as he's apt to do. And in time, he got more and more insistent and persistent with it. And, and, and eventually, he starts sending people to me. And they're just, they literally, this is literally what starts happening. They're walking up to me and they're just giving me pens. And they're like, I don't know why I'm supposed to give this to you, but I, I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. I'm like, are you serious? Okay, fine. So I, I get a pen. A couple of weeks later, someone gives me another pen. And, and you know, I, I kind of hit that point where I'm like, okay, I can't ignore this any longer. And so I say, okay, God, here's the deal. When someone gives me the third pen, then we'll have a conversation about this. No joke. That's what I said. I'm so faithful. <laughs> so... <clears throat> A couple of years later, actually, there was a bit of a pause there, but a couple of years later, uh, Robbie Dawkins, who I think is, is not a stranger to, to this church, some of you guys probably know who he is, Robbie Dawkins uh, had been in Africa. He returns and hands me a, a pen that's hand-carved out of like an elephant tusk or something like that. And he says, here you go, putty. I feel like the Lord's telling you you're right. Said, okay, fine. All right, like, you have my attention, Lord. So here's the thing. I, I went to God and I said, God, you're, you're calling me across that promised land. And all I can see is the impossible. I need you to give me something here. I don't know even what I'm lacking, but there's something I need to be formed in to go do that thing that you're asking me to do. Can I just say something? God loves it when we're honest enough to be real with him about that's where we're at. God is not threatened by the fact that we're not like perfect in everything. And what he would love is for us to be honest enough to say, God, realistically, I ain't got that right now. But I trust that you can give it to me. So Lord, would you minister to me? And so I began to talk with the Lord about this. And, and one day we, we have a bit of a conversation about it. Now, I, I do want to be clear about this. Sometimes when, when people are speaking, it can almost sound like they've got this like, direct hotline to God all the time. Not the case, at least not for me. Okay, maybe some other people are better at that. For me, it's fuzzy and it's confusing just like it is for you. But every once in a while, it's like, feels like God's real clear. And so this was one of those moments. And I said, God, I, I, I need something here. I don't even know what I need, but I need something. And I feel like God said, well, buddy, you, you know what your problem is? You think you don't know how to write a book. And I said, yes, Lord, <laughs> that's exactly my problem. I, I, I don't know how to write a book. And he said, that's okay. You don't need to know how to write a book. And I said, now I'm really confused, Lord, because you're telling me to write a book. <laughs> and now you're telling me I don't need to know how. And he said, Putty, you see, I wrote a book. In fact, I actually wrote 66 books. And those 66 books have been the bestseller for all time. So you don't need to worry about the fact that you don't know how to write a book because I know how to write a book. I've got that side covered. And I'm asking you to write this book with me. And you know what that did for me? It was just like, ugh. Because what happened was this. I didn't know it. And this is what I found about the promises of God. I didn't know it, but what I needed was to connect with God in a way that was personal to the promise that he was calling me to. It's one thing to be like, well, God can do anything. God's amazing. It's another thing for God to say, you know what, putty? I'm an author, and all I'm asking you to do is to do what's already in my heart. 
I'm really good at this, so do it with me. You see, I believe that all across this room, there are promises that are hanging over each one of our lives. And it's not going to help us cross into our own promised land to know that, sure, God is big and powerful and amazing out there somewhere. What we need is when we've got the promise of, of reconciliation in our family. What we need is to know the Father as the Father and the Son as the Son and realize they're the God of family. They're not just out there somewhere. That's the God of family. Some of us have promises that are hanging over our, our workplace, our businesses, our industries, whatever they may be. And we need to come to know God as the God who like kicked off every industry in the first place. God is the God who, who um, was you know, entrepreneurial enough to send his son gold when he was born to fund his father's business. We need to come to know God in a way that's personal and connected to our own lives and our own promise. Because when you can connect with God that way, that's how that faith gets formed in your heart. You know what that conversation did? That one conversation, night and day switch. That was everything I needed. Begin to plow forward and tackle the stuff that was absolutely impossible before. I could do it because I was doing it with him and I connected to something that was in his heart. What if the promises that hang over your life lived in his heart before they hung over you? What if they've lived in his heart before they were assigned to you? God's not telling you to do something he doesn't care about. Promise you that. He's calling you to fulfill dreams he's had for eternity past up until the present. They live in his heart more than in yours. And what we need to do is connect with his heart, allow him to form us in faith. And that gives us what we need to cross into the promised land. Thank <laughs> you.